0: hey y'all welcome back to this episode of the through my smudge glasses podcast i hope this podcast finds all of you listeners well i don't know about you guys but recently i've been facetiming with some friends at random times and just going on among us for 10 minutes and playing a couple games it's nothing too intense but i'm just a very bad imposter so i guess it's really not intense for me i feel like this is just another phase of quarantine however just remember there's been multiple distinct phases of quarantine that i remember there is Banana bread, of course, everyone binging Outer Banks, Tiger King, which I didn't watch because it was kind of scary sounding, but I basically know what it is because people talked about it so much. The Savage TikTok Dance, I don't even have TikTok and I still know how to do it. Zooming, of course, everyone knows about Zoom, more than Skype, I'm still trying to figure out how and why people are using Zoom more than Skype, when Skype existed and was well known before. Before we all go in a mind loop trying to remember all the different moods throughout quarantine that we have gone through, let's welcome you guys to this podcast. The Through My Smudge Glasses podcast is all about STEM, social issues, and positivity topics. There are a bunch of different things that we cover, so be sure to follow us on any of our podcasting platforms. If you enjoy us, then give us a 5-star rating if you don't mind. It helps other people discover the podcast and definitely makes a difference. To be more involved in the podcast, follow us on Instagram at Through Glasses, spelled like the title, all in lowercase. It helps you be more involved in the podcast and get more information about the interesting topics we covered during the course of this podcast. These are easy things that you can do to stay more involved. This episode, I wanted to go back to some of our roots in the podcast. Our first episode was about COVID and its effects in the brain, and a couple of our other episodes were all about different topics that weren't very well known, and it's still nice to learn about them. I was going down another what the heck am I going to do with my life spiral and I ended up searching unique sciency jobs up on the internet and read a bunch about scientists that had jobs that weren't really known about. In the middle of the spiral, I saw the term Ar- Antarctic engineer and I had a moment of clarity thinking hey that's actually a really interesting podcast episode, an entire episode about Antarctica, the scientists there, and the actual cool things that will go on there. It's a desert, it's freezing. And desolate, what couldn't be more interesting about it? And then I went back to my spiral. But that's what this episode is about the great Antarctic, in all its desolate, lonely, but interesting glory. More specifically, the interesting things that are going on there and being discovered there. more about the Antarctic, we first need to understand the climate and the geography of what's happening there. Why is it so cold and harsh that humans have not lived there for many consecutive years? Antarctica is considered to be the world's biggest desert, even though our traditional definition of desert is being very hot and dry, and the Antarctic is the opposite of that. The actual definition of a desert is actually a place that receives very little precipitation or rainfall, and that makes Antarctica the largest desert on Earth, measuring at 13.8 million square kilometers. It receives little to no precipitation and about 51 millimeters of rain a year. As a person who lives in a place literally famous for rains, that sounds insane. I can't imagine living there. The actual environment of Antarctica is covered in a permanent ice sheet. And this ice sheet is made up of 90% of the fresh water on Earth, which is a major inconvenience for humans just saying, the fact that humans only really have access to less than 10% of the water we can drink, and that we are surrounded by giant amounts of salted water that we can't drink. I'm pretty disappointed in us that we haven't involved a natural water filtration system that some penguins have that let them drink salt water as, and then it gets filtered in their throat into fresh water, because they've really cracked the code to life. Antarctica also has severe windstorms, and they can turn into snow blizzards. Of course, Antarctica is very cold due to its position on Earth. If you look at it in like a... I know that Earth technically doesn't have like an up-down because it's in the middle of space and just rotating on uh, around the sun, but if you look at the map in like a traditional sense where you see like North America and um, Asia and Europe in the Northern Hemisphere and consider that up... Um, Antarctica is in the southern hemisphere, and it's lower, and it goes kind of across the strip of a general map, if you haven't seen it before. And of course, it's very cold, and one of the historic lows of temperature that was actually recorded there was negative 129 degrees Fahrenheit. Remember, 32 degrees Fahrenheit is where water freezes, so that's a reference for that. 2% of the land in Africa isn't covered in ice and this area is mainly inhabited by the animals that live there. Some of the animals that live there are seals like the leopard seal which is a top predator in Antarctica. And Their tactic to gain prey and to become a top predator is to hide under icebergs waiting for other prey to swim by and then attack them in groups. In elementary school, one of my many memories is just sitting around watching several seven leopard seals versus one dolphin YouTube videos for fun, and just everyone around me in the classroom's eyes widening as we continue down a YouTube spiral of watching these leopard seals and other major predators fight. Fun times! Anywho, another animal in Antarctica is the Craybeater seal, which I definitely didn't pronounce right but hopefully got some of the consonants right, which is one of the which is a seal with the most population or most number of seals and a southern elephant seal which is the largest seal in the world also lives there there are also several baleen whales like the mink whale there's the famous breaching humpback whale which is known for their grin jumping out of the water which looks so cool and makes for really cool photography there's the blue whale of course the largest whale on earth sperm whale which are carnivorous whales feeding on squid and of course, my favorite animal of all time, the killer whale or orca, is another top predator in Antarctica. Apart from the plethora of great animals that are in Ar- Antarctica, there are no human residents but a lot of researchers. These people are often called Antarctic engineers, and they spend a lot of time in the research centers in Antarctica. And that's what we're going to start talking about next. Antarctic engineers are researchers who live in Antarctica and spend a lot of their time just kind of like the name says, researching things that go on there, conducting studies. Antarctic engineers are unfortunately very isolated, of course, when they live in Antarctica because if Wi-Fi is barely consistent in my suburban neighborhood that I live in, it's definitely very spotty in Antarctica, one of the most desolate places on Earth. Because of the low Wi-Fi and the low human connection, many people are not connected to the outside world. They cannot really communicate with very many people in their own family and friends. Also there's not a lot of people to communicate with in person there since there are no people living there. The researchers in a facility are just generally the people that they are in contact with. Those are some negative aspects to Antarctic engineers and I'm not sure why I started out with those because it starts off kind of in a negative note. but. The good thing is many people still compete for programs that are researching in Antarctica or going. many people try to go to Antarctica to learn more about it because of the potential of the expeditions that happen there. There are programs like through the National Science Foundation or NSF where people can go on expeditions to mountains or find different research to conduct in Antarctica. So that brings us to the question of what kind of research and what interesting discoveries have been made by these researchers in Antarctica. And as I was answering this question, I realized that there's actually a grand scope of things that can be covered in Antarctica that relate to all different other kinds of fields of physics, not physics, science, but physics is one of the fields that Antarctica could relate to. But an important discovery that was found in Antarctica was the fossil forests that were actually found there. There were 280 million year old fossils of forests that used to exist in uh, Antarctica. These forests were from when the continents were still together in one like great big landmass. That was before they all separated into the places they are today. And so it was part of a southern hemisphere landmass called Gondwana. And trees existed there then and forests existed there then. The ice that is under it now has actually preserved the environment of Antarctica and like it has kept these fossils in a good enough condition where they can actually be analyzed and this preserves the ecologic history that existed there. Scientists especially appreciated this because it gave them a look into the organisms that lived there at that time. Eric Goldbranson, excuse my pronun- pronunciation, was a paleoecologist that had a team that was focused on a specific time period of Earth's history. Just for reference, a paleoecologist is kind of like looking at the evolution, but like kind of like an ecology standpoint of like plants and animals. Um, they were focusing on the Permian Triassic mass extinction period, where 95% of Earth's species died. People thought that the extinction was caused by climate change that is similar but more mild compared to the changes in the world we are seeing now with our own greenhouse climate change. Greenhouse gas emissions from volcanoes at that time raised Earth's temperature and acidified oceans. Gil Brayson's team actually focused on finding similarities and differences between the ecological life before the extinction and global warming period. They can catalog the plants that are present at different times but then figure out the actual gradual changes that occurred by analyzing them, them as well. I think that this could help scientists hypothesize why these changes occur and really here history can help us learn about what's going on to happen with our own planet and just like learning more about the potential consequences that could happen since Earth has that we are living on right now has also been going through these climate changes just on a scale that we haven't seen before. I think something that's very common that I've seen with new discoveries in Antarctica is that they are very different from anything that we have found on the comparatively very lush six other continents. The conditions of antarctica can preserve things very well as we saw in the other example where these fossils were able to be were able to be analyzed or the climate in antarctica can actually create a difference in the organisms in the adaptations of organisms living there scientists have actually discovered a new type of bacterium these bacterium can survive off of the chemicals in the air and this could actually change our knowledge on our or our approach to life that exists on a different planet or alien life because of these newfound organisms that have been able to exist in the desolate conditions of Antarctica. The microbes that were discovered had a diet consisting of hydrogen, carbon monoxide, and carbon dioxide, all of which are gases for context. They didn't need any other actual substanate food sources like we do like burgers which is the only example I can think of right now they were able to sustain themselves on the particles in the air this means that this opens up the possibility for microbes to exist on planets that don't have that don't have the resources that earth has in terms of plants or animals to gain nutrients off of or gain energy off of since these organisms exist off of elements and compounds in the atmosphere that are made up of gas this means that organisms could actually live in planets that aren't Earth, because these compounds are very common when it comes to atmospheres. Of course, not everyone has them, but like they're, they're not rare compounds found in air that aren't found in other planets' atmospheres. The genomes of 23 microbes' DNA was studied, and using shotgun gene sequencing, they were able to identify groups and analyze the DNA of these microbes to learn more about them. So, these air eating bacteria is actually a possibility of a realistic alien life form we could find in our own solar system. Actually, if you want to know more about alien life forms and analyzing the potential of life, check out our podcast episode called What's Going On in Space, where we talk about another interesting way that alien life and looking for alien life is being approached in science. I have a very soft spot for marine biology, and this is definitely the, in my opinion, cutest Antarctic discovery that I've come across so far. It seems like seals have a sixth sense in Antarctica? That sounds like a clickbait title, but like platypuses, I they have a they may have a sixth sense and I learned that platypuses have a sixth sense watching wildcrafts and I hope that everyone has had the amazing experience of watching wildcrafts because it truly is a life-changing show The National Science Foundation has found out and hypothesized that seals are able to use earth's magnetic field as a natural GPS so that when they go on very deep sea dives they are able to find breathing holes in the ice and being able to get a refill of air in their scuba tanks of lungs to then sustain them for another deep dive or just to keep breathing. This hypothesis comes from the fact that these seals were always observed to know where and how to get back to a specific breathing hole after deep sea diving and of course because the sea is so vast and like so deep that these seals are going, it was interesting to scientists that there seemed to be like no hesitation or not a lot of complications when it came to finding that one same breathing hole. The hypothesis was that the magnetic field is what these seals use to navigate and this was supported because of the evidence that they began to gather. Of course, they're still in the middle of it, but they were able to map out a magnetic field in a certain area, and then they tracked the movement of these seals and videoed their journey and watched their behavior in that area that the magnetic field was mapped out in, since their behavior could change if it was a different magnetic field that they created or they were reacting to this relationship is still being studied in this way. Even if seals end up not having sixth sense of perceiving the Earth's magnetic field for their own navigation uses, they still have an interesting way of navigating that can be discovered in this situation. If it's not based on the magnetic field, some scientists are saying that it could possibly be based in hearing, which is also being d- studied. The last discovery that I'm going to talk about this episode is a giant hole that was discovered in Antarctica, which is just such an Antarcticans thing to say. (laughs) Oh yeah, Antarctica, yeah, it's the world's largest desert and randomly has gigantic holes in it. That's normal. Now, to be clear, I am talking about the Paulineas, and it's not just a gigantic hole of nothingness, it's open water that is surrounded by sea ice. So just the one area where ice is unfrozen, and that area is surrounded by ice and has frozen ice all around it, and the area is made up of fresh water. So it's just like a little melted patch, except it's not little, and it's kind of like a huge lake. Um, this was questionable to scientists, like they were wondering what, why this was happening because they wanted to understand more about the water that had actually existed within there and just generally want to know about why these icy features formed. They were specifically looking at the Maud rise pollinia that was a hole in the Antarctica's Lazarev Sea. An estimated size at one point for this pollinia was the size of Connecticut, so yeah. (laughs) This is interesting especially because the freshwater in the pollinia remained unfrozen even during Antarctica's coldest month, with very short days and little amount of daylight or heat to be able to melt the snow in that polynia for any reason. Using satellite observations, scientists were able to analyze that the opening up of the polynia was caused by cyclones, or very strong wind patterns. They say that this strong, very strong wind can cause the ice th- to blow over and cause the ice to shift in opposite directions. This movement away from each other causes the opening up of a polynia and the seawater underneath, or not the seawater, but just that um, creation of a hole in the ice. That's all I have for you guys about the obscure place that is in Antarctica that's very interesting. Like always, I encourage you guys to go forth. If any of this information sparked a question or created a little interest, dig more deeper into that and find out more information. Like, I think I demonstrated with my brief overview of some of the science that has gone on in Antarctica, there's a lot of interesting things that can be learned from this place that we can't really study anywhere else because we've never seen anything like it on our own planet. Well, I guess now we did, but like, as in anywhere except for Antarctica. With that being said, I'm welcoming you to join me as we go to our next segment of the podcast, Cue From You. Q from you is where we take a question submitted by one of our listeners and feature it and answer it right on this podcast. This week, our Q from you comes from a man, and they asked, what was the effectiveness of the flu shot in recent years? Well, to answer that question, last year in 2019, according to the American Academy of Family Physicians, the effectiveness of the flu vaccine was 45%. I don't want this to give off any kind of impression that the flu vaccine is pointless or won't work or protect you, however, because a vaccine is a very, very effective safety precaution more people should take. Even if the effectiveness isn't, even, isn't over 50, The 45% of people that we can consider that didn't get sick because they had a vaccine is far more comforting when you look at the number of people that did get sick and consider how high it is and then look at 45% of that and consider how high that number is. Flu vaccines are a very good precaution you should take even if they are only 1% effective. Even if they were only to be 1% effective, if they are safe for you, you should definitely do it to protect yourself. And added bonus is they are way more effective than 1%. To find out more information about the flu, especially during sixth season and when it is paired along with COVID, which has never happened before, check out last week's episode. It's all about it. For your question to be featured on Q From You, follow us on Instagram at Through My Smudge Glasses, spelled like the title, all in lowercase. Watch out for Instagram stories to submit your questions, or comment your question, or even DM us with your questions. We are all ears everywhere, and we would love to feature you. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode, I had a very busy week this week, but still wanted to get this episode up for you guys, especially since I thought the topic was unique and I like unique things. Keeping this ending short and sweet, if you enjoy this podcast, check out our other episodes. You can stream them on any podcast listening site or app or anything. I made that happen, so take advantage of it. Recommend this podcast to a friend. Spread the knowledge. Follow the pod on your favorite and most used streaming website. And feel free to leave us a five-star review. That's our minimum star quality. I I genuinely hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and I'll see you guys next time. Or I'll talk your guys' ear off next time. Bye. (laughs)